welcome to the Seeing Deep Podcast, where we see deep in a shallow world by exploring our surrounding culture through a biblical lens. This month, we've been discussing the impact that worldviews have on our personal belief systems, and now we're turning to our culture. We don't have to be victims of our culture and the worldviews that it thrusts our direction. We can impact our culture with a biblical worldview, and it starts with each one of us in our own homes. Here with us this week is Dr. George Barna, who is a professor at Arizona Christian University and the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at ACU. He also founded the Barna Group, a research company that for years set the standard for understanding trends in American culture. Dr. Barna has written more than 50 books addressing cultural trends, including numerous award winners and a New York Times bestsellers. He is also a fellow at the Townsend Institute has taught at the undergraduate and graduate level, and has pastored two churches. Dr. Barna, it is a privilege to have you on the show. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Denise. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my joy. And you know, when I see that you also taught at the undergraduate and graduate level, I just received my master's degree uh, from Liberty University in Biblical Exposition, and I bet you would have been an amazing professor. Well, I bet I would have learned a lot from your professors, so I don't know, I, but congratulations to you there. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I loved it, and I love, I have to admit, I some people would classify me as a nerd, and I just I wholeheartedly embrace that. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, I, when I was growing up, um, one of the one of the artists I used to follow, Jimi Hendrix, you know, he talked about, wave your freak flag. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> no, 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 I want to wave my nerd flag, you know, that, that, that's what I got. <laughs> yes, and be a Jesus freak. Amen. My my Great. dad recently called me that, and I was so blessed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So what first got you interested in research, worldviews, and impacting the culture? You know, I, I think as I look back on my life, I got started in the whole research area by playing with baseball cards. You know, all, all my friends would collect the cards and we'd sit down in a room, you know, and we'd, we'd pass them back and forth. And they love the pictures, you know, of the guys in their batting stance or pitching or whatever. I love the back where all those tiny numbers in columns were. <laughs> I just thought that was the most fascinating thing in the world. And, you know, so eventually I started memorizing them. And then I started recalculating the numbers to see if there were any errors that had been made in those things. Did find some, by the way. But, uh, you know, I, I think that initiated my comfort with numbers, my love of statistics. Eventually, you know, I got involved in uh, political polling, managing political campaigns, doing polling for various candidates, moved on from there after grad school to doing media research for places like Disney and Turner Broadcasting and others. And then was blessed to be able to start trying to apply those skills to ministry applications. And hmm. over the years, as I've studied a lot of different elements related to the culture and faith, what I've come to conclude is that of all the different things I've studied, perhaps the single most important one is worldview. Because everybody has a worldview, but people have different worldviews. And that worldview is so critical because it's the decision-making filter that every person has. Every decision you make is run through your worldview. Mm. And so if ultimately you want to live like Jesus, well, first you've got to believe like Jesus because you do what you believe. And so being able to measure people's worldview, beliefs, and behaviors 
I think is one of the most important things that I could be doing. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, so often you hear people quoting statistics and they're taking them out of context. Mm -hmm. And and I love just from the different research that I've seen that you've done, your heart to be accurate, to be using statistics, you know, to help us understand our need. And as you talk about that filter as well, uh, I, you know, there's a saying, people have lost their filter sometimes (laughs) as they get older. And I think we've lost our biblical filter by just in huge ways in this culture, obviously. And so what you're doing is so needed. And as Christians, God has called us to be culture changers But this task is daunting, especially in the politically charged environment we have today, where the word of God is undermined and conservative values are considered to be passe. And the great commission that Christ gave is still relevant today. And even when we feel like we're not making a dent in the culture wars of our day, the seeds we sow can change hearts, can change cultures. The scripture for this episode that I picked is taken from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this is one that we all know. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, the fact that Jesus issues this command by his authority should impact the passion we have to affect the surrounding culture. And yet, so often Christians succumb to the worldliness around us rather than affecting the world. So, Dr. Barna, can you share on how we are supposed to apply the Great Commission today? How do we individually reach the world with the gospel and change the culture around us? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the question of the day, Denise. I mean, you you think about what it means to create disciples. And you think about how human behavior works. The reality is you you can't give what you don't have. Mm. And so if you want other people to be disciples of Jesus, you need to be one first. And so that means we've got to go back and figure out, well, what did Jesus mean when he talked about discipleship? And I'm fascinated by the fact that in, in the book of John, there are three passages where Jesus is doing life, so to speak, with his disciples, and he dis- explains to them, he describes for them what discipleship is, uh, you know, in uh, John 8, John 13, and John 15. And in order, he he says, you know, if you want to be my disciples, uh, obey my teachings, okay? And, and then later on in 13, he talks about, uh, if you want to be my disciples, love each other. Mm-hmm. And then in John 15, he says, look, if you want to be my disciples, produce fruit. And he's talking about spiritual fruit. And so we, I think, need to first of all, look at ourselves and say, okay, how obedient am I to the principles that God has laid out for me so that I can thrive, so that I can have a meaningful, successful life that honors and glorifies him? How obedient am I? Am I consistently obedient? Because that's really the meaning of success in life. And how well do I love other people? You know, Jesus Mm. talked a lot about that as as being a necessary ingredient of what it meant to be one of his followers. And then finally, if I say that I'm a disciple of Christ, what's the evidence of it? You know, what kind of fruit am I producing? So 
when we get to the place where maybe we have enough of our own life together where we won't repel other people, you know, as they watch us, Mm. but they might be attracted to Jesus because of us, then I think we can start to look at some other scriptural admonitions like uh, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, where we're told about the, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Well, that's the same kind of calling that we have today is to understand our culture so that we can know what to do, not just do what comes naturally, what comes easily, what we feel like doing, but doing the things that will help us to move that culture closer to Christ. And so that's where I think maybe the research comes in handy, studying the scriptures comes in handy, putting those things together into some kind of effective outreach. And when you look at what effective outreach is, so much of it relies upon having built relationships with people, having mm-hmm. developed their trust so that when we say something, when we bring up questions for them to consider, when we're trying to model something for them, they know us well enough that they know the, the nature of our heart, our character, who we are, and they can trust us. And so, therefore, we can have some influence on them. Because if we don't have that kind of personal influence, what we know is happening in our culture today is that government and media and schools and businesses, they're all having tremendous influence on people. So, you know, keeping in mind our purpose, which is to know and to love and to serve God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul— and doing that in the context of consistent obedience to God, if we can be those kind of people doing those kinds of things, then we have a shot at actually increasing the number of disciples. Mm, so good. And I think, too, you know, for wanting people to believe the truth that we are sharing with them, they aren't going to believe it if they don't see us first living it. You know, so often, uh, you know, you hear about the the hypocritical churches, you know, the people in the church, but really, uh, as you said it so beautifully, we've got to be living the message out in Mm -hmm. a compelling way Mm -hmm. that people are saying, I want that, I need that, not just what we're doing, but what we have, you know, the peace of Christ and, and it's embodied in how we are living that out. You mentioned in your press kit that the very foundations of Western civilization are being attacked. America is abandoning the values upon which it was founded. In the time span of a single generation, the vast majority of American young men and women are no longer introduced to a biblical worldview. And the consequences are evident in the media every day. I want to hit on things that inhibit us from being culture changers. If we are aware of these detractors, maybe we can overcome them and be more proactive in reaching the world around us with a biblical worldview. First thing I was thinking of um, was censorship. One key cause of young men and women no longer being introduced to a biblical worldview is censorship. We've seen in our country this past year with the presidential race and the silencing of conservative Christian viewpoints on social media by big tech companies. How do we turn the tide and educate the next generation with biblical values when Christian values are being censored? Uh, the, the reality is that uh, there are some elements that have to be playing a significant role in influencing the way that people think and speak and talk and so forth. And so, you know, how do we turn the tide and educate the next generation? Well, biblically, that is the job of parents. 
And so, you know, you go through Deuteronomy 6, you go through various passages in Proverbs, and it talks about that's the single most important thing that parents will ever do in their life, is raising up their children to be spiritual champions. So we didn't get in the problem that we're in today in America overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight. We've got to be thinking long term. How do we change these things over the course of, uh, you know, two or three decades, if not more? And so it's got to start with parents training the minds and the hearts of their children to know what truth is, to know what a biblical lifestyle looks like, to embrace the appropriate types of values. And how is that going to work? Because parents haven't been inclined to do that for more than a couple decades now. Well, part of it has to be that churches exist to equip parents to do that job. Rather than worrying about, boy, can we fill up our churches and have parents take a lot of notes, what we've got to be doing is preparing parents to be great at the job of raising spiritual champions, helping their children to know how to think biblically. And I'll tell you this, Denise, one of the studies that we had done a couple of times over the last few years, we had asked devoted Christians across the country, adults, you know, what do you want your pastor to do? And the thing that came out more than anything else is, I want my pastor to teach me how to think biblically. Mm. The implication being, and of course, then we asked follow-up questions and found out that this was the case, that most Christians who are sitting in churches do not believe that they're getting the kind of relevant life-related teaching that they need about what did the scriptures say to the issues of today, whether that's poverty or healthcare or immigration or crime or abortion, or I mean, just pick an issue off the front page of any newspaper. And what people are saying is, look, if I'm going to go to church, I need somebody to help me learn what does God think about this? What does he want me to know about this? What's he calling me to do about this? And mm. You know, as as I've looked at our research related to, yeah, how do you convert that into action? How do you actually make disciples? One of the things that I discovered is that the most effective approach is through mentoring or coaching, maybe. You know, use whatever word you're more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But the idea is to find somebody who's maybe one or two steps farther down the road in terms of their following of Christ. And glean from them what what they've discovered. Nobody knows it all. Nobody gets it all. But you can certainly learn from the experiences of other individuals who may be a little bit more mature spiritually or maybe have had more experiences spiritually than you've had. And so that's a critical thing to do. You know, and in our homes, I was talking about what families can do. One of the most important things they can do is to pay careful attention to what kind of media exposure their children are getting. Because what we know is that of all the different influence agents in our culture today, the single most influential are media, arts and Mm. entertainment media. And so for parents to minimize how much media exposure their children have, to uh, be engaged with that media, you know, to moderate it, know what they're being exposed to, to uh, moralize it. And by that, I mean talking to their kids about what's right or wrong 
in terms of what they're being exposed to. That kind of engagement is not happening with younger generations today. They're being left alone out there to navigate through an incredibly powerful and confusing and anti-Christian media environment. And so for parents to be right in the middle of that, helping their kids to navigate through all that stuff is going to be very, very important. Definitely. And I I know uh, as a parent of five children who... um, Four of them are now young adults, you know, with college degrees, yay. Um, and one is 17. And, you know, we didn't give the phone until they were 17, you know, until they had to, per se, have it when they were driving. But it is a grave mistake for parents to leave that phone in those hands for untold hours. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm that mom who has the filter... <laughs> The filter on the phone and the accountability. And while some people might think that's extreme, it's it's so needed. We need accountability. Accountability is a big piece, not just uh, monitoring external behavior, but trying to help also shape the internal heart. So I really appreciate what you had to share there. Discipleship is so key in the church equipping parents as well. And number two that I um, also have as a stumbling block is shame. Um, it's our ability to share biblical values and impacting the surrounding culture is sometimes inhibited by shame. Christians can be ashamed of their values as worldliness creeps into the church, and Christian beliefs are devalued in the media, making the conservative righteous voice one that is a prime candidate for shaming and persecution. Do you have any recommendations to help Christians overcome the shame that comes from being opposite of the world culture? Well, Denise, I'd say one of the first things we have to do is be realistic. And when you read the scriptures, what you find is that the Bible and and God himself and Jesus promise us that we will be persecuted if we represent him well, because we're opposite of the world's culture. And so to me, what that says is I shouldn't be surprised when people are offended or scared or concerned about the fact that I'm speaking Jesus's values into this culture. I'm trying to model those values for people in this culture. And so, yeah, that is going to shock some people. It's, it's going to worry some of them, and they're going to fight back. And, you know, that that's the other part of this here is that we've got to remember that this is all being done in the context of spiritual war. I think there's so many, well, I know from the research that that a large majority of people who consider themselves to be Christian in this country do not recognize or realize or even want to hear about the fact that we are players in an eternal spiritual war that's taking place. And so you got to pick your side. Who are you going to fight for? And to recognize that day after day, yeah, if if you're serious, if you're a real player, you're going to face opposition. Uh, there are a bunch of people that I've interacted with who said, well, you know, it's interesting all that you go through. I don't have anything like that happening in my life. I don't. I really can't relate to what you're speaking about in terms of this spiritual war. So well, that's probably because you're not doing anything, you know, and, and so you're not going to face ap- opposition if you're not attempting to and maybe even having some kind of impact. So you've true. Got, you've got to really roll up your sleeves and say, okay, I'm in this for the long haul 
with Jesus. I'm relying on the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm looking at God's word for my direction. And like it talks about in 1 Peter 3.15, you've always got to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Why? Because the world doesn't get it. That's part of our job is to help them get it and to recognize that in that process, it's going to be a tussle. Yes. And, you know, just setting those expectations aright. And I really think that's part of the discipleship process as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that when people come to Christ, you know, sometimes they can be disillusioned at the hard times that they encounter and to really be coached (laughs) and discipled that this is the norm, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and how should we handle it? How should we equip ourselves to be able to handle it? Well, you know, know, and, and as you look back through the scriptures over the course of time, what you find is that we're not the first ones to be oppressed. We're not the first ones to be persecuted <laughs> yes. for, for standing up for Christ and his values and his, his ways of life. And so why should we expect different treatment than the apostles got, than the martyrs of the days of old got? I mean, this is an old, centuries, centuries old problem. And I mean, it's really, I think, a, a badge of merit when we go through those things and the world recognizes there's something different about us, it might concern them, but you know what? I don't answer to the world. I answer to God. And so when I stand before him, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say that if I'm playing by the rules of the world. Amen. And boy, do we need that today. Uh, another obstacle I see is that there's a lack of priority in Christians and being culture changers for Christ. You know, we can have our holy huddles. We can get comfortable and forget that we've got a job to do. We can become acclimated to the surrounding culture and grow comfortable and complacent, forgetting we're on mission. Maybe we feel like it's insurmountable to reach the lost culture around us. But Jesus did not say to go only if we are confident in our ability to have massive change. He just told us to go. Each voice makes an impact. So, Dr. Barna, why do you think Christians sometimes do not see or have the urgency to reach the culture? Well, we've been seduced by the world. Hmm. You know, when we think about what success is, and I know this from the research that we've been doing on people's worldview, we ask them, what do you consider a successful life to be? And for a Christian, success is nothing more, nothing less than consistent obedience to God. But for most people and in our culture, and most people even in Christian churches, that's not the answer they give. You know, they're thinking about happiness. They're thinking about possessions. They're thinking about reputation. They're thinking about health. They're thinking about all kinds of other things than the very reason why we're put here, which, again, betrays a misunderstanding of the purpose of our life, which is to know, love, and serve God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. It's not to be at the top of my class. It's not to be the guy who owns the biggest house. It's not to be, you know, the most popular researcher in America. No, it, it's, it's to do whatever I can to advance the kingdom of God in ways that are going to honor and glorify him. And so, you know, I think that, mo- well, I know from the research that, that most people do not feel as if that's their reason for being here. You know, and, and even those who do have that sense often forget that we're not called to produce results. We're called to be faithful. God will take care of the results. 
you know, so if we can give him our best effort, you know, the Colossians three principle, do everything you're doing with excellence as if you're doing it for the Lord. Well, I mean, do that, be obedient to his principles and just understand that, yeah, it's going to be a battle. Serving means you're going to have to sacrifice some things and making a difference means that you're going to have to be different. And being different means you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be unpopular. You're going to be misunderstood. That's okay. So is Jesus. He's my role model. And if he went through that, why shouldn't I want to? Mm, So good. And I'm 100% in agreement. And I think it's just one of those things that the natural is for us to drift. And if we just think we can stay in neutral, we are deceived. We need to constantly be putting ourselves in God's word and seeking him every day and being obedient to him. And that's really what the world, so as you, your first point, uh, needs to see. You know, another obstacle in our ability to be culture changers is the amount of influence that opposing worldviews have on the human heart that dominate the media. Dr. Barna, what primary worldviews are impacting our culture right now, and how can we effectively break through the lies and speak into our culture? Well, Denise, it's fascinating to me as as we look at worldviews. You know, we've been doing some groundbreaking kinds of research related to worldview. People don't seem to pay attention to this. So what we discovered is that only 6% of adults in America have a biblical worldview. When we look at the other 94%, what worldview they have, what we discovered is that they're not really buying into other worldviews, lock, stock, and barrel either. What's happening is that Americans, uh, I've learned this over the last 40-some years, I've been doing research, we're, we're not very deep or sophisticated thinkers. We're actually a nation comprised of people of action. And that's what's made America great is that over the last two and a half centuries, Americans are people who want to get stuff done. They want to make it happen. But they don't, quote unquote, waste time thinking very deeply about what they're going to do. They get a goal in mind and then they they go for it. And it's the same way when it comes to worldview. What Americans are doing is rather than studying the different world philosophies or biblical philosophy, what they're doing is they're understanding bits and pieces of those. And so they'll just take elements from each of the different worldviews and kind of bolt them together into a customized worldview that feels comfortable to them, that kind of fits who they think they are and where they want to go. And so what we've concluded is that 88% of Americans have a worldview that could best be described as syncretism, which is this blending of various elements from a variety of worldviews, whether it's secular humanism or postmodernism or Eastern mysticism, Marxism, you know, go on with, with, with the whole list. The reality is that you can only fight back against those things if you have ammunition And the ammunition for us here is God's truth. And so if the church in America, the people who want to represent Christ, if they want to be able to fight back against all those errant ideas that people are buying into about God and truth and purpose and success and so forth, well, we're going to have to know the Bible and we're going to have to live the Bible so that people can actually see what it looks like. And unless we're willing to do that, we are not going to win this war. But if we're willing Mm -hmm. to do that, if we commit ourselves to it, God will strengthen us. He will prepare a way for us 
and we can win that battle for him. Amen. Well, uh, fifth thing, uh, as I close out my uh, five main stumbling blocks that I see that prevent people from seeking to impact our culture is ignorance. Uh, so next week we'll be informed by Dr. Barna, so we'll not be able to claim ignorance anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So, Dr. Barna, what contributes to the ignorance of the Christian culture? Well, there are a lot of different things, but I think maybe the, the primary thing has to do with our media choices. We are a nation of biblical illiterates. Is that something that's been true throughout American history? No, because when you look at colonial America and for decades and decades after the founding of the country, this was a nation of people who read the Bible, who studied the Bible, who listened to teaching from the Bible constantly. And so that was in front of them. It was in their minds that when they were thinking about issues, when they were trying to solve problems, the Bible was a key part of that. And one of the things that that did was that it informed people's core values. And, you know, I, I did a study a few years back with David Barton, the great Christian historian. And one of the things that we discovered by going through documents from colonial days was that the primary values, as best I could determine from uh, colonial America, were things like uh, performing your civic duties, hard work, humility, faith, family, uh, frugality, moderation, rule of law, simplicity. Those were like the top nine values that I was able to identify in early America. And then I went back to my current surveys to see, well, what are the values that Americans buy into today? Well, it's things like acceptance, comfort, control, uh, convenience, entertainment, entitlement, uh, expression, freedom, happiness, independence. And the thing that struck me about those two lists of core values between early America and today's America is there isn't a single value that overlaps. And, and I would say that the primary reason for that is that we don't pay attention to the Bible. You know, we can talk all we want about highfalutin theological ideas, but if people aren't spending time studying God's word and letting it overtake their hearts and their minds and their soul, then they're not going to be good representatives of it. Mm. That it's just, it's simple and profound. You know, I think it's easy for people to get really what I call the Christian culture. We just get used to, and, and going to church is, is such a needed thing, but it can become rote. It can become that thing that we just, we go through the motions and we forget that we've got to have this urgency and we've got to have this awareness of our culture around us so we can impact it. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Barna. Please share with our listeners how they can find you. Uh, well, they can get a hold of uh, the research in, in one or two ways. They can go to the website, culturalresearchcenter.com. And we've got all of our current studies there. They're free. You can download the reports. They're only four or five pages each, each one on different topics related to what we've been talking about here, Denise. The other place mm -hmm. they can get that as well as uh, a lot of the books that I've written would be at georgebarna.com. And so either place will we'll get people a lot of information that I, I think and pray will be very helpful. 
Thank you so much. Well, y'all, next week we're going to discuss some of the research Dr. Barna has found and how it can impact our ability to be culture changers in our own corner of the world. You've been listening to the Seeing Deep podcast where we dive into the Word of God for the answers to life's problems.